And now, for something completely similar. Welcome to the show. That's Brendan filling time. I'm Jason. How you doing, folks? <laughs> this is going to be a short one, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's our names. You weren't supposed to get them in that quick. We have to vamp this whole episode. So we have to like keep the air of mystery until we reveal who we are to somebody who hasn't listened to this podcast before, perhaps came upon it in a blind feed. Is this podcast being aired somewhere? Are we on the air in Turkey? If we're on the air in Turkey, by the way, I just have to say, fuck you, President Erdogan. Fuck you. Nice going. To the Turkish people, I say, hey, what's up, guys? That president sends us, uh, is our biggest Patreon supporter. <laughs> oh, oh, that's going to be a problem. And he's real litigious, too. Mm-hmm. Mm. He tried to get a German guy uh, arrested, but uh, didn't work out so well for a poem, you see. Poems, children! Poems! They should all be burned. Look it up, folks. Google. Let's do to him what, what let's, let's do to President Erdogan what Hannibal Buress did to Bill Cosby. Google him. Are you Are you good? Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this, is, this is a podcast called for screen and country. And usually, what we do on this podcast is we break down the top 100, the BFI top 100 British films of all British time. But not this summer, Brandon. This summer, we've been having a swinging summer of sequels and prequels and remakes. Ow, baby, yeah! Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You know, thinking about that, we could have done Austin Powers as a James Bond spinoff. Yeah, well, I mean, sure. I mean, I don't know that there's any official connection other than uh, Deep, Deep Love. I It's a, it's an official sequel. To and there's no pigeon double takes. Not enough. Well, I mean, there's none in Austin Powers that's as far that, as I'm aware. Yeah, that's not enough. Exactly. But yeah, so yes, we have been having indeed that summer that Jason just screamed screamed about. Uh, we have been talking about the go between 2015, which was yeah, sorry. Right. We talked about Henry V, 1989, which was pretty good, solid. I liked it, Kenneth Branagh, very nice. I uh, still have trouble following it, but that's fine. We also talked about Doctor Zhivago, which we'll say no more about. 2002. We talked about Zulu Dawn, which was whatever. Which was fascinating for as a person who is into history and is actually currently because of that reading a book called Zulu Rising. Uh, I was I was I was intrigued, but uh, not the best movie, not not nearly as good as Zulu. And you can hear all about that on our new podcast for Reads and Country. <laughs> and oh right, Sense and Sensibility. That's like the best one we yeah, did. Yeah, it's probably the best one. Yeah. And we talked about 2008's miniseries of Sense and Sensibility, but this week. Jason, we're doing something even more obscure than anything we've uh, we've done so far. In fact, so obscure that it was difficult to find information yeah. on the making of, the promotion of, or even the conception of this film. Yeah, the, the, very little, very little we have for you, but we'll talk about it. Uh, we'll let you know. So, Brendan, reveal to the folks what this week's film is. Well, I'm going to reveal via. You may think this movie's obscure, uh-huh. but I know everyone is going to recognize the theme song. As, as so often happens, the the movie nobody remembers, but like we remember the theme song. Like you remember, everybody remembers "Walk Like an Egyptian," but nobody remembers uh, "Cleopatra Goes Wild," which was the film that that was directly taken from in 1982, starring Bo Derek and a young. Wendy Shaw. Your random encyclopedic knowledge frightens me. No, I just made that up, so okay. that's, that's completely Well, then that's false. even better. Yeah, that's yeah. improvisational. But, but you believed me, and that's what matters. Yes, and. Yeah. Okay. So here it is. Here's the theme that, of course, you all know and love. Yes, of course, the eponymous theme song to the sequel to Room at the Top, 
number 32 on the BFI Top 100, Life at the Top. When I was going through this list mm. some time ago, g- kind of gathering information which these movies has sequels, remakes, inspired by whatever, this is the least likely mm. one that Absolutely. I saw. Yeah, that, that was my thought, too, because, like, I mean, and, and you think about it, Brendan, you and I both grew up in an era of the 1990s where we saw lots of uh, sequels made to movies that absolutely had no reason to have a sequel, so it's not crazy for that to happen, but usually that was, like, in terms of blockbusters or comedies or, you know, things like that, like, we, we, we didn't see... Um, uh, you know, English Patient Two, uh, the English Reckoning, uh, or, or English or any, Patient Two, Fish Hook Again, yeah, yeah, or or Fisher King Two, or or whatever, like just these weird drama. But here we have uh, the sequel to the number thirty two, thirty two, number thirty two film, Room at the Top, uh, Life at the Top. Yeah, now, only made six years later. Only made six years later, and yet, if we assume Brendan that this movie, uh, the original film, was made contemporarily. Then this movie, which actually takes 10 years after the fact, is set in, at the time, the near future. So this movie is actually a science fiction picture. Set four years in the near future. Four years in the near future, absolutely. Uh, Again, we have all our favorites back. Well, most of our favorites back. We have Lawrence Harvey. Uh, A a, a good chunk of them, yeah. Lawrence Harvey returns. uh, Great as ever. I mean, Lawrence Harvey has proven himself time and time again in the movies we've watched as a a very good actor. Yeah, so Lawrence Harvey is back as Joe Lampton. I just want to go through the ones that are back. Yeah. Donald Wolfett is again playing Abe Brown, yes, the, the old father. Man. Alan Cuthbertson inexplicably mm-hmm. is in this movie. He's back as George too. I thought it was weird that he's in this. Yeah, no, I, I was so happy to see him. I'm like, yes, fucking George. Um, and I believe I didn't write this down, but the woman who plays the mother is also the same actress. Whose mother? Uh, Susan's mother. Oh, okay. I don't even barely remember her in this movie. However. So, wait, you don't remember her? You, you you mean it didn't stand out that she was like, oh, have a, that was so frightening. Oh, so it's oh, right, over the top, dinner, yeah, yeah. Most over the top <laughs> British snob acting I've ever seen. Right, right. Well, she well she is an upper class twit. They all are. No, no, twit, twit with an I. Is that th- thunder? That's the thunder, yeah. Wow. That's how dedicated we are, folks. We are in the middle of a storm right now, and we are still bringing you this podcast goodness. And we're it, doing it on a laptop with a battery, so if the power goes out, we're good. Yeah, so this is uh, this is a this is a, a situation. So let's let's press forward. Um, coming into the film, newly coming into this franchise, mm-hmm. towards the room at the top universe. Yes, sir. The rat you. Yeah. We have uh, Honor Blackman mm-hmm. from Goldfinger, Absolutely. which we talked about, uh, playing Nora Hoxley, yes. who is the new kind of love interest on the side. We have Michael Craig playing Mark. We have. Margaret Johnston as his wife, Sybil. Mm-hmm. And we have Robert Morley as Tiffield. Now. Who are we forgetting? We are forgetting one person who is not the same actress. No, not at all. Susan is not played by the the actress in Room at the Top. Who uh, Her name escapes me. Uh, she's wonderful. Lovely <laughs> she's, lady. She's great. She was, she was very young. She, she, was she played very young. a very young Susan. Yeah. Uh, Susan Lampton in this movie, played by Gene Simmons. Not the singer. From, uh, well, we talked about her in Black Narcissus, mm-hmm. and she was also in a movie we just watched recently. Was it Taste of Honey? Was she in there somewhere? No. Hmm. We just watched it, and I can't. Maybe it was just Black Narcissus. Maybe. All right, Mother Nature is telling us it is just <laughs> Black Narcissus. It's time to move on. <laughs> it's time to move on. She says, let's roll this podcast forward. I'm about to cut your power. Um... So yeah, that that's that's who we're dealing with in the cast. But I want to know, Jason, mm-hmm. what is this movie, this sequel, all about? Well, this is going to be interesting too, because normally when I do these sorts of movies, uh, I usually have other sources that I look at summaries to help me write the summary. You know, Wikipedia, IMDb, there those is sorts of places. Nothing out there. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a lot, and as I said to Brendan earlier, the summary for this movie on Wikipedia is two paragraphs long, and the first paragraph talks about the first movie, <laughs> and the second paragraph arguably doesn't even really describe the movie. The second paragraph well. is what it would say in TV Guide. Yeah, <laughs> which you know what, I wouldn't be surprised if that's all what yeah. it was. So this is all Jason. This is all pulled from my oh, notes. Shit. So if I miss stuff, uh, it's my fault. If you miss stuff, I will try my best, but... <laughs> so our old friend Joe Lampton is still living his life. Yep. Ten years on, he's still married to Susan. They got a couple of kids now. A young Harry and little Barbara. 
They uh, Joe still works for his father-in-law at the Browns Wool Mill or Factory or whatever the fuck it's called. I think that's the name of it. Yeah, Browns, whatever the fuck. Uh, Abe Brown is his name, of course, but we know him as Mr. Brown. Uh, Mr. Brown and, and his boys, Mr. Brown's boys. And if you'll remember, we left when we left them off. Uh, uh, Joe was riding along in the marriage car with Susan, looking rather uh, rather sad about his prospects uh, as they ride off into married life. But now we're ten years on, and Joe has everything he wanted except what he really wanted. Happiness. Happiness, yeah. None of that. But he's got the car. He's got the kids. He's got the money. He's got the family. He's got the job. He's got the wife that he can come home and rub his dick on. He's got everything a man needs. Except true love. Yes. And thunder. And thunder. But, uh, I mean, he, yeah, he, he, I think he, I think he has affection for, for Susan, but you know what? He just, he's missing something. He's, he's, he, he has this job. He wanted this job, but I think he just, he, he wants to feel like he's earned something in his life. So we'll continue on here. Mr. Brown's advisors at the company. Uh, I wanted to call them a board, but it's a privately held company. So really they're just his, his lackeys at that point. Yeah. They're all telling him that he needs to take the company public. Well, his health is waning. His health is waning, but but they also need to raise some money. I believe it's offhandedly referred to at one point. They want to upgrade machinery. They want to like, you know, upscale their productions. Uh, so they need money. And usually the quickest way to do that if you're a private company is to open it up to stock investment. And so that's what they want to do. Uh, so they commissioned Joe to go ahead and write a report about this and its feasibility. At least that's what I assume it's about. They never really say exactly what the report is other than he's writing it. It's in a very nice folder. It's in a very nice folder with AZ Brown on it. It's, it's very nice. A to Z um, Brown. AZ Brown. And among those advisors is another old friend, George Asquith, the widower Ace to... Gil. Esgill? Asquill. Asquill? Esgill. Are you sure? I think you're saying that wrong. Uh, A-I-S-G-I-L-L. That's stupid. All right, so... Um, George. George. He, George, of course, we remember from the previous movie because George was the husband of Alice, the woman, the older woman, a, a crone of a woman at age 35 <laughs> yeah. that uh, young, uh, young Joe fell in love with. What were they, like six years apart or something? Uh, I think 10, maybe. I think Joe was supposed to be 25. But the actors. Right? Oh, yeah, no, like the actors yeah, were very close in age, yeah. <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, an old elderly? Yes, this elderly 35-year-old woman. That Who could possibly love such an old lady, but Joe did. <laughs> just the skin is just hanging off her bones. Yeah. Played by the, by, we should mention, played by the wonderful Simone Signoret. Simone, yes. Not in this one, because no. uh, if you'll remember the end of the previous film, she gets drunk and drives her car off a cliff and dies. Yep. So, yeah, a bit of a downer ending in that last movie, but, uh, you know, let's press on. We'll see how this one does. Okay. Yeah. So, uh... So George is on the board, and, you know, that's kind of funny, because he, like, kind of, like, what does he do? He, he kind of makes a funny, an irreverent, like, salute to him as he walks by or something. Oh, oh, there's, there's, a, there's a bit, I, I, I like this bit a lot, because George is talking to someone else, Joe sees him, and knowing their history, he has a glass of water, and he's doing that, like, thing where he's dipping his hand. Yep. And oh, he's blessing him, right. Blessing right. him, because he's, like, because George is, like, evil or whatever. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, uh... And around this, uh, throughout this thing, um, Joe becomes friendly with a super hot reporter named Nora, whom, uh, as we mentioned earlier, is Honor Blackman. Honor Blackman. Late of many other things we've watched. Yes. Uh, or have heard of. She still, was in the Avengers. Still alive to this day. Yes, absolutely. So is Julie Christie. Those, those British ladies, they last a while. I, I mean, look at, look at Her Majesty. I smell a buddy cop movie. I, I'm down. I would watch that, for sure. I don't know why I smell a buddy cop movie. So, yeah, well, yeah, I don't, would you want to? I don't think so. Uh, I think the kind of buddy cop movie you want to smell is not one that you want to watch. <laughs> and that's a fact. That's uh, alarming. So, yeah, he meets Nora at this party thing, and he's doing some business, and he's talking to some business guys, and he hooks up with these business dudes, and there's a real happy business dude that tries to offer him a job in a similar industry. I think he's also oh, in the whole that, industry. Well, yeah, so he goes to give this guy, Tiffield, uh, the... The order, the the report, yeah, that he's put together for Abe, and the guy is all is like, yes, yes, we'll do the order, but how would you like to work for me? Yes, yes, oh yeah. And at the same time, we meet Mark. Is it was that Mark? Mark was with him. Was he the guy talking about kickbacks? Yeah. Okay. I believe that's the same character. I'm pretty I sure. Thought, I thought that was different. You know I, what? I know that guy had a mustache. I think he's a different dude. 
all British people look alike to That's me. true. That's true. The, the teeth. It's just the teeth. They all look the same. <laughs> well, he looked very similar to Mark if that wasn't Mark. No, it was a guy with a mustache. I mean, okay. maybe I'm wrong, but I thought that was a different guy altogether because he was talking about, like, oh, I got these kickbacks from the Americans. You're probably right. And then he needed, and then and then Joe had to call to get his own kickback money to grease the wheels. Again, no IMDb plot summary to help. <laughs> so, yeah. So he's deep in the company and, and, Mr. Brown has other plans for Joe as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is part of why, why I think Joe is in the in the state he's in is because for the last 10 years, he's basically been a pawn of uh, of uh, his father-in-law. Yeah. And th- this time the plan is, is that Joe will run for the local council, the, the British equivalent of like what we hear is municipal government. And just push whatever Abe wants to push. Yeah, and push whatever Abe wants to push. He needs him to run as a conservative candidate so they can have another vote. And uh, Joe comes to find out that the main reason that he wants him there is that there is a there is a bunch of land down by the canal that has been set aside for council housing. Now, as I understand, and people in the UK, you can chime in here and let me know if I'm wrong. But as I understand, not count, all at once. Not all at once. Take your time, one at a time. Okay. We'll, we'll raise your hands. You of all people should know how to you know queue up and you're polite. Respect like the us. order. Yeah. But um, yeah, so council housing is essentially what we hear we would call low cost housing or. or you know, for, for people, you know, they're low-income housing. Thank you for explaining that, because yeah. I had no idea. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and, and you would sign up for it, and you would get on a list, and when your name came up, they would give you a place to live. And that explains the line where Joe is saying that his father exactly. signed up and never got yeah, and never it before got it. he died. He so, died, by the way. That he character did die. is yes. dead now. Yes, exactly. And I'm assuming... Oh, no, wait, I no, forgot it was the, mother the uncle and, and the aunt. Yeah. No, he was with his uncle and his aunt in the last right, one. Right, yeah, right. Okay, never mind. I'm glad you remember. Um... Yeah, so they so they have this land where it was set aside for council housing, and and based on what we saw, there's not much there now. It's a lot of ruins and, and slums, but Mr. Brown and George uh, are pushing to get that land reassigned so that they can build what is referred to at one point as a shopping center, but looks like an office tower to me, like a high rise. Yeah, it just looks like the Sears Tower or something. Yeah, yeah it's, it's obviously a bu- a building for business purposes and not for low-income housing. Mm-hmm. And so Joe just, you know, Joe being Joe, he just kind of goes along with it because, you know, what else is he going to do? This is the guy that holds the strings in his life, the purse strings and the daughter strings and all this stuff. This is what he got himself into. So uh, just to go through that plot, so I don't have to go back to it, well, what eventually happens is that, yeah, so Joe wanders down to the canals, he sees the people living there, some ladies come at him before he's elected to the council, asking if he's a councillor, because they are waiting for council homes. Mm-hmm. And it kind of jogs some memories in him, and when he, when he ends up at the council meeting, I've said council a lot, when he ends up at the council meeting, he stands up and gives a Mr. Smith goes to Washington type speech. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I wrote that down. <laughs> About how... About how his dad died waiting for a council house, and he wasn't going to let this stand, and he was going to vote against his own party and vote with the Labour uh, Party on this issue. Yeah, the movie takes a weird turn. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I don't know why it's suddenly about politics. Well, I guess I guess more of anything, it's showing Joe kind of stepping outside this prison that he's put himself into in somewhat, mm. in some ways, that he's defying Mr. Brown's authority. Now, if I correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure the first the room at the top never dealt with that. Really? Well, no, because he was trying to get into the family, and, and yeah. any issues of Mr. Brown's authority usually came into whatever he had to do to get in with, but with that, Susan. But that movie was, like, 99% relationships, mm, right? Mm, mm. Okay. Yeah, this this movie's much more, uh, Mr. Much Lampton, more about the business part Mr. Lampton goes to Washington. Yeah, Mr. Lampton goes to, well, goes to London, really. Goes to London, yeah. Another thing that really sets him off, uh, he learns that uh, Mr. Brown has been talking with the uh, president of a different company, uh, which is also a wool company, about oh, uh, merging. Ch- Chester or something? Yeah, well, uh, or something. who cares? It doesn't matter. The it, guy barely is on screen. He says like three lines. But yeah, so they're going to merge, and, and Joe goes off because if they're going to merge with a different company, then that renders his whole report on going public use, useless, and he feels that he's been made to look the fool. And he doesn't like that. No, he doesn't. And Mr. Brown doesn't give a shit. No, he doesn't. He tries to placate him yes, a little bit. Does. But uh, you know what? Joe doesn't give a fuck. Uh, and as the final nail in the coffin, he goes home, and what does he find? He finds uh, their good friend Mark coming out, or his friend Mark hears them in the bedroom fucking. Yeah, and when he walks in, what is he wearing on his head? He's wearing a paper cartoon, uh, what looks reminiscent of a cross between Yogi Bear and Huckleberry Hound. Huckleberry Hound, that's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, it's a cartoon mask, because he he's, wants to see his children. He assumes his children are going to be there. He comes in, and he... It's like, oh, there's 
where is everybody? He looks around. He goes into the kitchen. He sees there's a couple of dinner plates laid out there. Somebody had dinner. He's like, hmm, that's weird. Goes upstairs, goes into his daughter's room. They've dosed the kid with, a, I assume, a sleeping pill. So she's knocked out. It's only like 7 o'clock. Oh, but we should note that the way they cheat with the kid around is Mark makes her play like blind man's yeah. bluff. Yeah. And then as she's blindfolded, he goes and fucks Susan. Yeah. Which is, that's fucked. I mean, I mean, he's quick, I guess. He that's her done. You want to make a character hateful. <laughs> yeah, well, and also we have to mention about Mark, too. Mark's been fucking uh, uh, just about everybody, because he seems to be a sort of a libertine kind of guy whose wife knows he fucks around. And I think he even mentioned a point, at one point he uh, he had sex with a, with a fella. Uh, yeah. Yeah, fellas or and boys. Then, and Joe gets very uh, homophobic. He's like, yeah. why did we send our kid there? Which is kind of ironic, given the actor that's playing him, but... Yeah. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so Mark, Mark is very much a libertine when it comes to pleasure and, and doesn't mind sharing, and his wife seems to at least not mind enough that she's willing to hear about it. She basically says he goes out and gets the hamburger meat and comes home to steak. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's not that's not a direct quote, but that is exactly uh, Are you happened. sure? I wrote that down as a quote. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, he, he catches her cheating. He catches her cheating, and that's it. He's fucking out. He's done. He's he's going to go visit Nora in London, and but then Mr. Brown shows up, and they all have a big fight, and Mr. Brown says, well, guess what? You can't have the car, because that's my car. That's the firm's car. And he says to, he says to Susan, can I borrow your car? And she's like, uh, okay. <laughs> and so he takes the car, drives away, and goes to London, and meets up with Nora, and what do they do? They fuck. Which, by the way, Joe's cheated on her already. Joe has, and but but also, th- in, in, the, in the course of this specific film, this is the first time that he's actually gone outside the bounds of marriage. She did it first. I mean... So he feels compelled now. Yeah. Uh, he feels like he has a free pass. Sure. And he goes out and he, he takes down Nora and they have a grand old time. Uh, also, it, later in a flashback, we learned that, that he just pounded the shit out of, uh, out of Mark in a boxing match. Because at some point they said that he was in the hospital and, and um, Joe goes, oh, I hope it's fatal. <laughs> and it was kind yeah. of funny at the point. Like, it's just like, oh, he's just mad. But like, no, he beat the fuck out of that guy. He hopes he's dead. I didn't even, I saw, I heard that throwaway line, but mm. like, I didn't know that it was, I didn't catch on that it was Joe that beat him. Well, because it because before um, like during that flashback sequence, it shows the the boxing thing of him beating him, and then I it thought cuts that was to, just him imagining. No, I think he must. I think he must have done it. Wow. I feel like that isn't just like a weird fantasy he had. I think he actually must have done it, and then just been like, "Oh yeah, I hope was, he's dead." It was weird that they cut to him jerking off. Right? Yeah, yeah it's very strange. It's weird for a movie in the. Uh, you don't often see masturbation in black and white. It's strange. <laughs> it's not as exciting or no, vibrant. No, 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 no. <laughs> Doesn't have the same. It just doesn't feel the same. Thrill know? to Lawrence Harvey's come oh. all over the screen in three D. You're you're canceled. You're canceled finally for good. We're consigning you to the dustbin of history with Firefly. Chocolate sauce. So he goes to London. He fucks Nora. Decides he's got a setup there. So he goes and sees his old buddy about that job that he was offered. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, sure, you got the job, but we got to send you, we're going to have you do an interview. It's just a formality. And, and of course, he's like, what? And he sits down in front of a, a board of interviewers, and there's one of them that is strangely slow in writing down stuff, which I thought was a weird choice. He says, where where do you go? Or, or, or what's your education? And he said, Dufton Primary School. And then they all stare at him for a moment, waiting for him to say more. He does write down for a long time. And then time. he goes, Dufton Grandma Wait, do you think he was writing that, or do you think he was saying it and writing, like, we're not hiring this guy? It's possible. Uh, they definitely... Or he was just openly mocking him in that oh, way. yeah. It's possible. Um, they don't like yeah. the Dufton thing, and they don't like that he was a POW. They don't like that he was a POW. They don't like that he wasn't an officer. They don't like that he didn't have any decorations, and they don't like the fact that he doesn't have any university degrees. So needless to say, he don't get the job, Brendan. Four cis white men. Yes. That's, that's who made that decision, yeah. Jason. And they decided not to hire a white cis man, at least the character. I don't like this inner racism. It's, yeah, it's, it's awful. I mean, if, if, a, if a straight white cis, uh, cis man can't get ahead in life, then what is there left, right? Yeah. We're really being held so, down. But Nora, being more than just a fuckbag, is more than happy. Because that's the thing, is that she is more than that. She is a very independent, very, you know... She's a TV host. She's a TV host. She's a journalist. She does. She has her own life. She has her own shit on the go. She doesn't need a man. She's just there to have a good time. And, this is, and like Joe is starting to realize, oh, did I get to where I am just because I 
fucking married into it because mm-hmm. he realizes he doesn't have any actual skills. Yeah, because Nora goes to bat for him and hooks him up with a job, an entry level job at a different company, and and he makes he's like, well, what am I supposed to do? Start over? Like I'm too old to start over. And she goes, like, well, bitch, you're 35. He's like, she's like, you're not that old. I mean, she's like, you pulled your, you know, you, you did it the first time. You could do it again. He goes, yeah, but I don't know if I actually have the talent. That's what he's scared of. He's scared that he doesn't actually have the talent to make it to where he had kind of been put because he was the boss's daughter. And that he, was, seemed... he was the boss's daughter? Sorry, because he married the boss's daughter. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I guess that would be a different thing if he had, that'd be a whole different movie if he had like dressed up in a, in a, you know, as a, like a Mrs. Doubtfire style and then tried to be like the long lost daughter of Mr. Brown to get in on the family wealth. Or are you saying that the movie My Boss's Daughter is a sequel to this? Uh, yeah, that one. The Ashton Kutcher Tara Reid vehicle. Yes, I, I have not seen that, surprisingly. Oh, we should do it for the BFI podcast. Absolutely. So, yeah, so Nora has, as I said, Nora has a life and a job, and she doesn't really have time for all his self-reflection and and misery and and bullshit that he's going through, because that's not who she is. She's not his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. She's just her fuck buddy, or just his fuck buddy. So, she says, look, you get your shit together, sort yourself out, I'll be in Northampton or wherever the fuck her new apartment is, I'll be there, you come see me when you're good. And so while he's there, he kind of falls into a bit of a depression, and he and he writes his wife a letter, and he writes his son a letter, because he's just that kind of guy. But in the process, he's clearly either too drunk or too tired, and he swaps the uh, envelopes, when clearly we're looking at them. There's no way he should have mixed those up. I completely didn't see this. You didn't see that? So <laughs> if you look, so yeah, you'll see that if you look at one of the letters, one of them says, Dear Harry, mm-hmm. and he puts it in the envelope that says to Mr. or Mrs. J. Lampton, and then he puts the other one, puts the wife's letter in the envelope that says Master Harry Hampton. I must have been abducted by aliens. Yeah, that's okay. So. Uh, that's why I'm here, Brendan, and that's why you're here. We fill each other's <laughs> blanks. Yeah, we do. Well, uh, fill in the you want me to fill in the blank on that one? Yes. So, so this this is one of the great dangling threads of the movie because he sends so he sends the letters out, and uh, Susan gets the one meant for Harry, and she reads it, and it's this kind of letter like saying, "Hey, look, Harry." Things are not going to be so great when you get home because your mom and I are, are kind of separated. But, you know, we both love you and don't blame your mother for this, you know, and you're a good man. You're a good kid. You're good. You're going to be a good man. Whatever. Like, just being real sweet to him. And this just, just triggers her heart. And she just realizes that she still loves this guy. She still loves Joe. And so she goes after him. She goes to London and finds him in the apartment. Um, and she goes there and she tells him that she still loves him. And... She's trying to figure out what he wants in life. And he utters the line that I think is very much the thesis statement of this movie, which is, it's not a question of what I want, it's a question of what I'll settle for. Yeah. And clearly, he's willing to settle back down with Susan. So he does. He goes back with her. We see him back at work. We see him sitting there on the board, talking with George and everybody else. He's running shit. He's running shit. Yeah, Yeah. he's running shit again. Uh, and so the day ends, he sends his secretary off, he gets his shit, he walks out the door, he goes down, he starts his car, backs the car out, goes to the gate, gets out of the gate, or get, sorry, gets out of the car to look around, there's no gate man there. And the last shot of the film we see as credits roll is a shot of that gate with like a, a dark sting, and then the end. But it doesn't end there, Jason, because... There's an after credit sequence? A li- yeah. <laughs> a little bit later... Five years later, there was a series on television called Man at the Top. Well, can you hold that thought for a second? Yeah. I just wanted to say one thing okay. about this dangling thread. So the dangling thread to me is that then Harry got the letter meant for her, and I can't imagine what that letter must have said about like their breakup or divorce or about what he'd been doing or up to. So he was probably traumatized, and we don't get to see that, and that to me is the most interesting thing that isn't talked about. I miss your breasts. I miss <laughs> the way they feel with my I, cock between them. I can almost taste you on a daily basis. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, no, no, it's the kind of thing a child shouldn't read. This, so this is the prequel to A Clockwork Orange. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Harry is... <laughs> Harry is Alex. Is, is Alex, basically, yeah. Well, Jason. Yeah, so, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. It doesn't end there. No, it doesn't end there, Brendan. It doesn't end there, because in 1970, there is a television series called Man at the Top, not starring Lawrence Harvey. It was no. recast. I don't know the Kenneth actor. something. Yeah, Kenneth Starr. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Ken Starr, exactly. Pre-Ken Starr Report, he was an actor in Britain. Yeah, and he had an accent. Hmm. So, th- I just want to play a little bit of what Man at the Top sounds like. Sure, I want to hear it, too. I haven't heard this. This is new to me, folks.
We're going to finish the Travers report, Mr. Lantern. Well, already? It wasn't as troublesome as it looked. My God, you're quick. Oh, just average, Mr. Lantern. Oh, no, I rate you higher than that. Thank you, Mr. Lantern. Um, uh, will this be all, then? Uh, no, not quite. I want you to do something for me as a personal favour. See that that lift is fixed tomorrow morning. They've already promised twice. Ah, we'll make sure this time. We're five floors up. I want it fixed. It's good exercise. Maybe for you. Keeps one young. Whatever it does, I don't like it. Oh, those are the recommendations that I've made on this. Thank you, dear. Miss Johnson, the new trainee. Mr. Soames engaged her. How old is she? Fifteen, I think. Now, I'll let you have these back uh, before lunch, Mr. Lampton. There's uh, nothing else I can do for you, is there? No, Jerry, nothing else you can do for me. Are you sure she's only 15? Oh, that, that sounded like it had the cadence of a sitcom, but no jokes. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a sitcom where you take out the laugh track? Yeah, well, you take out the laugh track and any sort of humor, and, yeah. and it just does what it sounds Because it sounded like there was pauses for laughs. There, Are you too. sure she's only 15? <laughs> that was disturbing. It was disturbing. And of course, I'm sure you know, Brendan, that that, that sitcom then led to a spin off movie of its yeah. own. Called Man at the Top. Called Man at the Top, absolutely. With the cast from the TV show, hmm. which, trust me, Jason, I tried to track it down, not going to find it. Yeah, no. uh, <laughs> Unless I pay like $100 on Amazon. Yeah, because, we, because if we wanted to continue this remake summer, we would then watch Man at the Top, the show, all 26 episodes. We would then watch Man at the Top, the movie, and then we would watch the uh, two, 2012 remake of Life at the Top. There's a 2012 remake? Yep. Of, of Life at the Top? Sorry, of Room at the Top. Oh, okay. I was going to say that. Yeah, that's a weird, weird choice. Weird, weird thing to remake, the sequel. Um, so, I mean, let's get into this a little bit. Normally, I'd be like, hey, let's talk about the background of this film. Yeah. But, hey. But actually, before we do that, we are going to take a brief break. We will be right back. Bum, 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 bum. I have an app called Podcoin. You have an app called Podcoin. I listen to podcasts on my app. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And every time I listen to podcasts, I get pod coins. Pod coins. I use those pod coins to get gift cards or donate to charity. Be altruistic. If you use our code. What is our code to use? ScreenPod. S-C-R-E-E-N-P-O-D. ScreenPod. You will get... 300 bonus pod coins. So why don't you get those bonus pod coins? Sign up on your Google Play Store or on the App Store. We're back. Wow. <laughs> I, had to be, I had to say we're back while Jason was mid-coffee. Yeah. Just, Woo! This, this show is about realism, guys. In the words of Mark Maron, I just shit my pants. Woo! Our show is the kitchen sink drama equivalent of a podcast. <laughs> That's right. Richard Harris came in here and punched you in the face. I know. It was really nice of him. Yeah. Let's get into this, Jace. Let's get into this movie. I have no background in this movie. I have no reviews of this movie. Other than a few critics that some said it was good, some said it was bad. Yeah. There wasn't awards for this thing. Nothing like that. So let's just get into this movie a little bit. I want to say that, holy shit, as a theme this month, mm-hmm. I guess in the month and a week, this symbolism is laid on thick. Mm-hmm. Right from the very get-go. Right from the word-go. Yeah. Because the first scene is Joe showing up in his car to a field, people literally releasing caged birds yeah, yeah, yeah. into thought, the wild. If, if you if you didn't know what was going on, you see that first scene, it's like, oh, okay, I see what this movie is. If you didn't see the first movie, that would let you know what the theme of this is. Yeah, it's like, I want to fly away from here. That's a, that's a uh, Disney movie. Wanna be anywhere but near here, dear. That's Jasmine, isn't it? (laughs) I'm just making it up. I could show you the world. Shining, shimmering, splendid. We don't want to get sued by Disney. Ugh. Uh, So, and another thing I noticed right off the bat is very cheeky, like, fast-paced editing Mm. and, like, shot composition, not, which is a lot different from Room at the Top. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah, yeah, this movie, as, as you mentioned to me in a previous text, this movie does kind of move, too. It does it's, move. It's, uh... There's, there's, there's more going on, I would say. There's more going on. Not, not necessarily that it's all good, no. but there is more happening. More stuff. Yeah, more stuff. Also, I want to mention, this movie, I, I learned, uh, was written by a guy that also did work, also did uncredited script work on the first movie, uh, and you fans of Canadian literature may know the name Mordecai Richler, one of Canada's most revered uh, authors, uh... I know him because I read some of Barney's version when I was in grade 12, which I believe was his last book. Mm-hmm. Uh, famously had a cigarette or a big cigar on the cover. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so uh, one of our boys, Canadian legend Mordecai Richler, wrote this movie, which was strange, but that's cool. Uh, and also Canadian director Ted Kotcheff. Like the people behind this movie were not British at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw in another article do reference to this being like a Canadian, it's like a Canadian's view of British society. <laughs> but you know what? That's cool. Well, isn't that kind of what our podcast is? Yeah, yeah. Canadian I mean, really, it's, it's British society, a, a white straight Canadian view of <laughs> British society. I enjoyed him inviting the paper boy for tea. Yeah, let's talk about that scene because that's a very like uh, a scene where he kind of comes to a realization. Yeah, because you know, as as we know, Joe grew up in Dufton, and he grew up a you know lower class guy. He kind of had to struggle. His dad was a coal miner. He likely was a paper boy at some point. Probably was a paper boy at some point. So he invites the uh, the young paper boy in for tea because it's cold outside. And his kids just kind of stare at him and give him the fucking stink eye. Well, I noticed the boy more so. Yeah. The girl is kind of like, oh, do you go to the boarding school too? Like she, mm. I think she's kind of, le- I think she's less corrupted by yeah. Abe than yeah. he is. But he definitely is given that paperboy like the stink eye for sure. Yeah. And I think that's when Joe realizes that his kids are kind of getting away from him, or at least Harry is. and Because he's been hanging out with grandpa a lot. And grandpa's got a very elitist view of uh, the world, mm. as yeah. as many mill owners often do. <laughs> yeah, he basically and he's basically there to like give them money whenever they need and etc. Yeah, yeah, and and BS, but in in doing so maintain his grip of power over everybody in his family and business. Another because th- this is one of those guys that uses money to maintain his structure yeah. to his liking. Another thing uh specifically from the scene that I noticed that really pops out is the the kid, the newspaper boy is hiding his fingernails cuz he's got like dirty fingernails, he's picking at them. Yeah. There is a line like shortly after where uh, Joe is actually talking to Susan and says, makes a comment about something about Abe making him socially acceptable by cleaning his fingernails. Yeah. So there's a direct reference uh, to that scene. Good catch. I missed that. Thanks. I missed the fucking letter thing. So. <laughs> um, I thought it was interesting that at some point when Joe's driving down the road, he blasts through a group of people protesting a fox hunt, which was was interesting to me, but I was like, now I get that's probably a contemporary thing and, and that still happens now because fox hunts still happen but it was weird because I thought maybe that would come back in some way but no it never did it just happened to be there I think that was just a way to comment on something that was very big at the time or or is it possible that they were filming that day on that road and there happened to be a protest and they thought fuck it we'll just use it <laughs> we'll just drive right through we'll it we'll just drive right through these fuckers and if they don't get out of the way well all the better it'll look better on film I feel like it was <laughs> thought, that'd be a whole different movie if Joe ran down a bunch of protesters in the first 10 minutes oh my <laughs> that is making quite a statement. And then he goes all Mr. Smith later. Like, mm-hmm. what? Well, let me tell you something about how things are supposed to be. <laughs> I'm going to vamp until you get me off this, this stage. Look, I, I support the fox hunt fully. I mean, I killed 16 people earlier in support of the fox hunt. But you can't take away the council houses. <laughs> that is Jason's impression of Lawrence Harvey as <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart. Stewart. <laughs> as Dana Carvey as Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I was going to say that the fox hunting protest was interesting because this was actually, I looked a little bit into this because mm. God, I was struggling to find mm. stuff with this movie. And this was a real growing controversy at the time that people wanted to ban fox hunting. And still, and still do. Well, there actually was a hunting act passed in 2004 yeah. in, uh, in England. So it technically it is not legal. Really? Yeah. Neat. But apparently the fox hunting act has a lot of weird loopholes that people are going around and shit. So. Like so many government legislations that are never written in a way that's ironclad. They're written in so much fucking legalese that you can just find holes everywhere. Just holes to stick your dick in and just fuck the government and fuck the people and fuck the taxpayer. MAGA. I was. I, I thought I was being pretty revolutionary there. Oh, okay. I know. I, I, let's, let's, let's make the world... I'm taking again. it back. Let's make Earth great again. I'm... T- MAGA. MAGA, exactly. That's actually, you know what? I kind of like that. Mega. Because it's like, yeah, climate change and stuff. Yeah. Let's make Earth Let's great make again. Let's make Earth great again. 
I'm tired. Because Earth was great until we showed up, and now we got to fix it. Well, wait. So you say you want to wipe out the human race? I mean, that's an option. I'm not saying I'm, I'm not married to it, but you know, I could see also in this movie that Joe is uh, still a kind of a toxic male asshole because at one point Susan is talking about how she's unhappy, and he's like, "He's like, what? You want me to make you pregnant again?" Yeah. <laughs> like, is that also, your, is your solution? Also, did you notice that everybody knows what happened with him and Alice? Like, there's no secrecy there. Everybody just is aware. Uh, yeah, <laughs> to, to the point where I do. I want to play two clips in succession. Sure. The first is the is the first time Alice is mentioned. Yeah. And the second is the time George mentions her. Yes. Because that's a much different. Yes. Absolutely. So let's play this. Uh, let's play these two clips here. So first time, first mention of Alice. Well, I've got to tell you this morning. Big Daddy threw me a bone. He wants me to run for councillor. Super. Now that the report's finally finished, you can rush off to council meetings. Behind every nun, there's a woman. Anyway, it's so common. We've been trying to get Daddy off it for years. Oh. After the meetings, you can boot it up with George Askill and talk over the good old days when you shared his wife. Alice Askill. Of blessed memory, your one true love. That still gets you on the raw, doesn't it? So that's the first one, and I thought, well, that's a little cruel. That's, that's harsh, yeah. That's harsh. And then I heard this part. Because he must have confided to her at some point like th that his love for her, she, he must have actually told her that, because she could have assumed that they had an affair, but to go that deep and be like, you're for your true love, and then just needling him with it, that's pretty cruel. I, I bet George knew that it was deep. Oh, yeah. And well, I think he's probably the one that told everyone. I, I, and I wonder if that's the first time that it happened to Alice. Yeah. <laughs> Being stuck with George, you know. Well, and here's the scene where George brings up Alice. George being her husband, or her, her husband, widower. Her widower, yeah. Um, who's, by the way, who's moved on, has a new young thing yes. on his arm. Well, but he always did. Yeah. Uh, so this is George talking about his former wife. Late wife. Look, Joseph, when Alice died, I was glad. Didn't you know that? She was an infomaniac. Didn't you know that? I don't mean to be crude, but the truth is she could never get enough. Didn't you know that? Whatever's worth doing, Joseph, is worth doing well. So when I come across something that interests me, I study it from all angles, like karate. What I'm trying to get at is, I'm a very proficient lover. I mean, I've read all the texts, you know. She was insatiable, that woman. Didn't matter who. As long as he, well, measured up to her requirements. I really must be getting home. You ever think of her? But do you ever think of her, Joe? Sometimes. It was stupid. She wouldn't have been any good for you. She'd have eaten you alive. She's dead. Okay, let's leave it at that. Wow! What a psycho! <laughs> Yeah, just like not, and, and we know from watching Room at the Top, none of what he's saying about Alice is no, true. No, she, she wasn't was, some insatiable nymphomaniac. Her and Joe had a legitimate connection. Yeah, she was a very, she was a very unhappy woman. Yeah. with George, absolutely, uh, rightfully so. And and that he's this kind of psychopath that would go to the trouble of not only insulting her but in doing so also insult Joe. Yeah. to his face, like that's. <laughs> I love Alan Cuthbertson in this role. He's fucking great. I gotta look this guy up and see more shit he's he in. He is. The villain, most villainous villain. And he's definitely in the in the running for the most most British prize, uh, <laughs> oh, which we'll yeah. have to award at the end of this oh. uh, podcast. I believe he was nominated last time. Yeah, he was do, definitely. Do, wait, do we include these movies though? Well, when we do the overall, three or four years down the road. <laughs> three or four years. <laughs> yeah, we're covering our next list. Ooh. Whatever it may be. I do like the way... Now, I will say that I find in this movie the chemistry between uh, Lawrence Harvey and Honor Blackman. It's fine, but like it's nowhere near the electric chemistry yeah. he has with Simone Signore. No, and, and but that didn't bother me because I was just so... like Honor Blackman is so good and I enjoyed watching her yes. that that overrid any lack of chemistry. But I mean, that's the thing. Is they're, not, they're not in love. No. They're not... You know, they're two people that clearly want to fuck. I just... I just... They're individually great, yeah. But I, I don't feel anything there. Even the even the chemistry that the movie is going for, yeah. Not necessarily going for like this big lusty, wonderful, loving relationship. I know that they're not going for that, but it just there's, doesn't feel like there's. Mm. To me, I'm watching and I'm like, I don't understand why they would hook up. Yeah, but yeah, I, but I was gonna say there is one scene 
that make that helps a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's the scene where there's a leak in the ceiling. Yes. And Nora or Honor Blackman, Nora, whatever. Uh, her father was a plumber, and Joe, obviously, growing up in Dufton, he knows about this kind of stuff, and they both say, oh, it's a leak in the main. Yeah. And they both go to fix it. Yeah, so they both understand what's going on. Yeah, and, yeah. and I thought it was funny, because I just assumed that Joe would have got sent to do that, because he was the one guy from a lower class background. I was like, oh, if anybody knows about shit pipes, it's probably Joe. Well, and that, that's another th- uh, layer to that scene, yeah. too, is that they're like, eh, like the mother is like, oh, Joe, oh, Joe, it's frightfully old. I fucking hate her. <laughs> She's like, I find she's even more over the top in this movie. Yeah, yeah, she's. They made her more of a caricature. You should call it life over the top. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) What else we got? We got lots of notes. Yeah, I wrote down this line. Have you ever had a colored girl, Joe? Yeah. Every Friday after the tea break. (laughs) Yeah. Well, she that didn't was, know. She doesn't know. But that was weird. She was yeah. like, she was like, I want to do more. Have you ever had a car? <laughs> I, I enjoyed the scene of the fella explaining what a key party was in 1968 or whenever this movie was made. Would you like to hear that brief Yeah, scene? yeah. Let's hear it. Let's okay. hear it. This is before key parties became the thing in the 70s, folks. So this is a pioneering piece of filmmaking. There you go. Here we are. No, no, no. It works like this, you see. Each of them throws the car key into the handkerchief. The keys then get well shook up. Each husband reaches for a key... He then drives home with whichever wife belongs to that car. I never actually suggested we do it. I'm simply telling you what I read in the bloody magazine article. Under certain conditions, I might consider it. No thanks, I've got too much to lose. Can't sit a race skill, I'd drive an Aston Martin. Yeah, whichever wife belongs to the car. (laughs) What an interesting way to put that. Wonderful wording. Also, you'll you'll notice, too, that that was in the days before the fishbowl became the standard. It was you threw them in a handkerchief. Yeah, come on, guys. Yeah. We all know. We've all been to key parties. We know how it works. Yeah. Every time I end up with this fella right here, (laughs) I always get my own set of keys. Actually, that reminds me, uh, this is kind of a a little bit off topic, but I don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh, The Ice Storm. Ang Lee, no. Yeah. Great movie, yeah, but heard. there is a major scene involving a key party, and in that scene, it's it's very tense, mm. and because this couple is like kind of having a little bit of marital strife, but they're like, you know, we'll go to this, and one of the couples there, they accidentally draw the keys, their own keys, and it's like, oh, you have to draw again. It's like, no, no, we're just, we're just, we're just gonna go, and it oh, just kills me every time because you wanted them to go to do to, to, to do the key party. No, no. <laughs> You wanted to see them fuck other people, Brendan. No, I get it. No, no, I mean, it kills it, like, emotionally, like, I'm just like, oh, thank God they got out of there. Oh, okay, I see. It's not the main couple that that happens to. It's, like, another couple. Oh, is that Kevin Klein? It's not them that it happens to. Okay. It's just, like, a random couple at the key party. I've never seen it, but I know who's in it. At least Kevin Klein. It's... it's 1997, right? Yeah, it's fantastic. That's when the actual ice storm happened in uh, Quebec, I believe. Yeah, it's ba- no, it's wait, based- that was 98. Sorry, that was 98. It's based on that. Yeah, it was in the past, but based on the future events. Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> you know how time works. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I recommend The Ice Storm. Yeah. Uh, another note I have about this film that I have to mention is you'll notice that uh, 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 Joe and Mark, while they're hanging out at the gym because they work out together because later, you know, he gets the shit kicked out of him in a boxing match, but they're having a shower together. And yeah. when they get out of the shower together and they're chatting as they dry off, uh, before he's even like we'll say even 25% dried off. Mark lights a cigar. And I feel like that that's not real good for being right after a shower to immediately light a cigar in the, in the locker room. Now this was in the days certainly where you could smoke anywhere. And as a smoker, I do like the idea of just being able to light up wherever I want, but maybe wait till you get dried off and dressed before you light a cigar up is all I'm saying. So are you against the no smoking in certain areas thing? I am against smoking in the shower. And I will say that right now for so, all the world to hear. So, Jason, you heard it here first. Jason wants to walk into a movie theater and just start puffing away. That's right. Oh, shit. Imagine. Imagine, because like, when Sin City got released in Japan, they did a screening of it where you were allowed to smoke. That would have been the best. I would not have gone to that screening. That would have been so great. It would have been perfect. It, and you would have had the... And, of course, what you don't get anymore, Brendan. You remember in those old movies? You watch old movies where people are smoking in a theater, and because of the smoke, you can see the projector light. like It's like lit up. You can see like the cone coming. You don't get that anymore, because you can't smoke in the theater anymore, Brendan. What did you think about Stormy Trooper, the dancer? The, dan- the strip- striptease scene? Oh, yeah. That was a little S&M, wasn't it? <laughs> Her name was Stormy Trooper. That's, that's, well, given that she's dressed in a bunch of black leather, uh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Was that like a, was that like I a think Nazi that was, reference? Yeah, I think that was a Nazi reference. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, that was back in the 60s when Nazis could be sexy, right? Yeah, yeah. back in the 60s when people didn't know how dangerous Nazis were. Yeah, yet. no, no, they'd, they'd forgotten. World War II started in 1985, <laughs> yeah. as we all know. Yeah, Lawrence Harvey was like, ah, oh, I, was, I was on vacation in Germany for four years. It was strange. <laughs> um, going back to Alan Cuthbertson for a second, we need to talk about again more of what it, why he's such a great actor. Mm. He does a lot with very little. There's a scene where, uh, of course, we know Susan's having that affair with Mark. Yeah, and there's a scene in the cafe. I think it's like a cafe or something. And George is just sitting there, and he sees Susan leave, make up some excuse, mm-hmm. and then he watches and sees uh, Mark leave shortly after. And he doesn't go like "aha" or do anything like that. But there's a very, very slight. Change yeah. in his expression. George, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, like George, a, has, George knows exactly what's happening. A satisfied look. Yeah. But that's a credit to the actor that it's not over, it's not over the top. No, it's exactly. Not... You just can be so, so just a subtle amount of smugness. Yeah. And then we know what's, what hits it going on in his head. Like, yeah, very impressive. The guy's great. Exactly. Uh, I like the line. Uh, Joe dismisses uh, Nora's claims about many houses in England not having bathrooms. He says, it's not that she has a social conscience. It's that her father is a plumber. Yeah. That's a good line. Oh, I also want to play, like, I feel like Susan, despite being 10 years older, still very immature. Mm -hmm. And this this little bit, this quick bit of dialogue as they're arguing back and forth, really hammers that point home for me. Even 10 years on. Yeah. Well, how much does Hattie see of me anyway? That's written off your son. What about your darling Barbara? I'm going to visit them. You don't think it might unsettle them? I'll be reasonable. They're my children, too. Of course I want to see them. Of course I want to see them. You can't deny me that. can't deny me that. Cut it out, will you, Susan? Cut it out, will you, Susan? Yeah, she was. And then, and then, is that the same scene where she then tells him that Barbara isn't his? Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought, I was like, oh, shit. Is that part of the plot? And then turns out, no, that was just a lie. Yeah, or was it? Well, that's what she said. I mean... Or maybe, maybe she told him the truth and then did the lie to... Maybe, but we get no resolution on that one way or the other. All right, Jason. Next week, Man at the Top. That's the right. entire series. <laughs> also, I need to point out this movie. I, I, it's one. Of, this is one of these tropes that you know I've heard over the years, and this is the first movie where I've specifically noticed it used. Where somebody says to another character, "You're drunk." <laughs> what? Like, like in old timey movies, that's like a go to trope of just like like a lady going, "Oh, you're drunk. Hey, I'm drunk. What is the matter?" I did. What scene was this? This is well. I mean, he didn't say that, but but she, yeah, a lady. I, it was it was Joe. Joe was somewhere and he was drinking, and somebody says, "You're drunk." Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, also, I I love this bit. It's just such a little character piece of information that was put out there. Because they were talking about, I think Joe said he was like a lapsed Catholic or something, and then Nora says that her parents were atheists, yeah, and they were very strict about it, uh, where they weren't allowed to drink or smoke or do anything just to show the religious people that you didn't need God to be moral. <laughs> I I didn't read, I didn't catch that much yeah. into it, but I did think that line was pretty funny. Yeah, it was yeah. like atheist, but we didn't drink or smoke. I was like, what? But that, but then she says right after that, yeah, just to show the religious people that you don't need um, uh, God for for morals or something along those religion yeah. for morals. CM Punk is not a Christian. That's right. Oh, I, oh! I love the. Okay, sorry, Brendan. I just want to say I want to be a door-to-door bean man. Yeah, the bean man. Good shit. Yeah, he really, <laughs> he really shits on that bean man. He's just like fuck off. Well, or sawed off or whatever. And the... oh, he says fuck off, Jason. <laughs> 1965, rated PG. It's like, hey, at least that guy has a fucking job, man. He's doing. He's hustling. He's earning. Doing the Lord's work. What are we gonna say? I was gonna say I enjoy. <laughs> it's a very funny uh, British kind of joke, but the uh, where the the Conservative Party van is driving along and he's saying, uh, "Vote Conservative Party. It's your standard of living. Don't lose it." And then they go to turn down a street, and as they turn down a street, the guy's like, "Oh no, no, the Conservative Party won't go over here well." And he backs out because it's like a working class poor neighborhood. He's like, "Yeah, no, there's no point in going down here. They're not gonna vote for us." <laughs> and then takes off elsewhere. It's like when Hillary Clinton didn't go to where, like fucking a bunch of states she didn't visit or whatever. Yeah, states she didn't visit because she knew she didn't have a chance there. Yeah, yeah it was kind of that. Uh, I, I wasn't a big fan late in the movie. All the like interwoven flashbacks. Yeah, it was, too much of that, I thought. Specifically when Joe's like in the apartment and depressed and he has a couple flashbacks to the previous movie. A couple? Yeah, well, it's not that many. There's a bunch from the first movie and then there's a bunch from this movie. Yeah, including a couple that we didn't actually see, like him beating the shit out of Mark at the boxing match. Yeah. One thing I think that's kind of resolved too easy is Joe is kind of justified in the end. Because remember he says his son, he thinks his son is unhappy at the school. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, no. Everyone loves it. All the kids love boarding school. It's the best. Mm. The mother. 
Dan, not stand her. No. But um, they find out that Harry actually ran away from school. Yeah. And, you know, he ran back home or whatever. But it justifies Joe in the stuff he was saying. But I, I don't really think that's like, there's no resolving on that. Like, no. does he really reconcile with his son over that? No, no. Whatever happens with Harry in this movie doesn't really get any uh, any play. Like, he's yeah, basically there to serve the story purpose and then they forget about him. Like, I didn't, yeah, I didn't buy into that. The whole father-son thing is just set up and then nothing happens with it. Yeah, it, it, it could have been a stronger part of the movie, I suppose. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I don't, I, anything else you want to say about this movie? Uh... <laughs> He finally has it out with Mr. Brown, and he tells him what he always wanted to tell him is that he has bad breath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have halitosis. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Take that, Donald Wolfoot. Uh, yeah. This time you might rise by your own ability. Well, what if I haven't got any? That's the line when he's talking to Nora about like climbing the ladder again, starting fresh. Yeah, and he gets super insecure, not only about the fact that he feels like he doesn't have any skills, yeah. but the fact that he's going to have to be uh at the behest of the breadwinner yeah a woman yeah yeah and 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 yeah and he's definitely threatened by the fact that she has her shit together and her priorities in order and her job and you know secure and all those sorts of things that he wants yeah uh very 1965 of him absolutely oh by the way did you know that this came out the same year as darling really interesting like uh huh. uh Lawrence harvey was busy yeah this was i think this was a on Wikipedia, it tells me anyway. Yeah. This was a December release, so huh. Darling would have been out first, yeah. and then Life at the Top. Neat. So yeah, no, that that's pretty much all I have to say about this movie, and then of course it ends with the gate, and he's trapped again, and it's almost as obvious as the opening scene of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I Yeah, and like, I mean, let's get right into it, Jason. Yeah. I'm going to say this right now. This is a movie that, it, it moves, it's got a pace to it. Yeah. I wasn't really bored. No. It feels a lot less authentic. Then yeah. room at the top, it's a lot. It's a lot more kind of fluffy, yeah. a little bit. But I mean, it was a good watch. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was better than I expected it to be. I mean, I, yeah. I, thinking about like the idea of a sequel to a movie like this that didn't need a sequel, and we think of all these like comedies and stuff in the '90s that didn't need sequels, and they make a second movie, and it's basically just a straight retread of the first movie. Well, you could say about this movie is that it wasn't a straight retread of the first movie. There were similar elements, but ultimately, it was its own thing, and it's not a bad watch. I will quote. My other co-host, Nathan, yeah, and say this was a laundry folder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what? Nathan is a smart man, and this is definitely what that what this movie is. A laundry folder. Definitely yeah. watch this while you're folding laundry. If it's on, it's not on Netflix, but if it was on Netflix, I would say, yeah, give it a watch and, like, you know, do whatever you gotta do. It's probably on time. some obscure British streaming service, so to our friends in the UK, if there's any of you out there... Netflix! Yeah. It might be on Netflix. Queen UK. Vision. <laughs> Queen Scope. Her Majesty's streaming service. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Thank you. I love it. Yeah, so I mean, I think, so we both liked it. I, I definitely wouldn't replace it with Room at the Top. No, no, certainly or, not. The other way around, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't put it on the list in place of the other movie. No. No, but Plus if, it's a sequel. But weird. if you like this movie and you want to know about the further adventures of Joe Lampton, you could do a lot lot worse. You could probably watch Man at the Top and do a lot worse. I, I feel like Man at the Top probably not good. But it did last two or it lasted 26 episodes, which is a lot of which is a lot. That's like 9 years of British TV. I was gonna say, <laughs> British that's like 20 seasons. <laughs> oh, Jason, we've come to the end of Life at the Top. We've come to the end of this little miniseries. Yes, it's it's the end of the sequel summer of prequels and sequels and remakes. And that means we come to a scary time. We come we come back to the scariest time of the of the episodes. Nas, back to the dice roll. Dice roll. And guess what, Jason? Is it my turn? It is. Hooray! And I want to do. I want to keep. I want to keep it going. I want to do the one at one at a time thing again because that was that was nerve wracking. Oh, okay. So we have a a tens. D10. A 10 D10. And a, or a and 10's a, D10 and a, and a 1's D10. And a 1's D10. And basically we are going to roll the dice to find out which number on the BFI Top 100 that we are going to do next. And hopefully it'll be a number that we haven't actually watched yet. And if it isn't, we will just do it again. Here we go, English patient. One more time. <laughs> yeah, go Kess. All right. Are we ready for this, Brendan? Are, are we hanging one, on the edge of our seats? Are you doing one at a time? I'm going to do one at a time. So okay. I have 10's dice in my hand right now. All so right. The the de- uh, the the decade, <laughs> the, the decade, <laughs> the decade in which this will take place is Whoa. the no, it's not a decade, the decalist. Just roll the damn die. Fifty, right in the middle. Okay, we got we've done a lot of fifties. So. And then uh, we will get fifty-four. 
Oh, this is a big one. What is it? This 54. is a big one. We are doing 1985. Brazil. Brazil. I love that movie. I've never seen it. Awesome. Well, you are in for a treat. We Maybe. are. I assume we are watching the director's version, European director's version or whatever, the 142-minute version of Brazil, I would assume. Because we don't want to watch the Love Conquers All version, which is the uh, 80s TV cut, which is what... If uh, By the way, folks, there is a lot of context on this movie we're going to have to talk about. So we won't get into that now, but... Uh, it's like the opposite of this episode. <laughs> well, in fact, Brendan, if you if you want, I actually have a documentary, or you could look it up, uh, called The Battle of Brazil, which is about this movie and its making, and uh, it's fascinating. Well, Terry Gilliam, uh, kind of renowned for the behind-the-scenes documentaries of his movies, mm-hmm. so... It, yeah. So guys, I mean, there's a lot of fans of this movie out there. I know, I know some of them. I've talked to them recently. So. And I've been, I actually been watching Game of Thrones uh, season five recently, and our old friend Jonathan, my old friend Jonathan Price, who stars in Brazil, shows up in that season. So I'll be excited. I love Jonathan Price. Robert De Niro. We got yeah, we got Jonathan Price. We got Robert De Niro. We got the great Catherine Hellman, late of Soap and Who's the Boss fame mm-hmm. in this movie. What else? Uh, Michael Palin is in this movie in a great role from Monty Python. Again, remember him. I don't know anything about it. It is. This is a wonderful movie, and <laughs> save it. We'll save it for them. But I'm just saying. You're like the doing gate. your rundown. Yeah, but just saying out of the gate, like like you might listen to us and hear us roll a movie. Think, oh, that movie's not for me. Well, no. Watch Brazil. It's it's an interesting film, and we'll talk about it next week. I'm excited, Brendan. All right. Well, Jason's giving away his play mm-hmm. right away. We know exactly how he feels about this movie. So make sure you tune in next week for Brazil, number 54, right around the middle. Brazil! Where hearts are Hey, Desi, can you get Jason? Hey, you got some splitting to do, Brandon. Where's Lucy? Where did did you put Jason? Look, I sent him home. You don't need to be here. I'm here. We're going to play an instrument. All right, Desi, will you help me uh, me wrap this up with? No, I got to go see Lucy. She's stuck at the Vegemite of Vita, whatever factory. You hit her pretty hard there, Rick. That got dark. (laughs) Simpsons did it. Jason, you're you're back in the room. Thank you. Thank you for uh, getting through. I don't know. I just rode Dizzy out. (laughs) Again, the mausoleum. Yeah, I know. We've got to really stop doing this here. Good Lord. Well, let's, let's, let's wrap this thing up. Let's tell the people. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for Screen and Country. Mm -hmm. You can find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. Check us out. We are on all the podcatchers. Uh, for screenandcountry.podbean.com, we're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and also I have another podcast you can check out called What Were They Thinking? Jason's been a guest quite a few times. We talk about that to questionable movies on that one, so it's a little bit different than this. You can listen to me talk about uh, uh, Wing Commander in their fourth most downloaded episode. That's right. <laughs> Wing Commander, Snake Eyes. And Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor. I think there was another one. WrestleMania. Right. WrestleMania WrestleMania 11. The greatest WrestleMania. <laughs> of all British time. That's right. You should check it out, folks. <laughs> so, and you can follow Jason on Twitter. That's a- at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. And on Jason's Twitter, you know, he talks about Man at the Top, which we didn't get to cover this week. But yeah, I'm going to live tweet. A lengthy oh. <laughs> live tweet of every episode of Man at the, the, Man at the Top. It's going to be one. The first tweet will say, here we go. And then second tweet will just say gunshot (laughs) (laughs) and yeah so get so back to back to back to the reg back to the regular next week that's right we're back to to it back to it with brazil watch it it's you can find it pretty easily i'm pretty sure go to your local library and if you like jonathan price be sure to check out a movie that's not on our list but is related uh uh, 1997's tomorrow never dies uh starring pierce brosnan and michelle yo jonathan price plays the bad guy a media mogul who uh wants to take over the world for some reason so check it out so yeah come back next week and uh so that's gonna do it for us jason i just have one thing to say to you what's that brendan god save the queen god save the screen for screaming country i'm brendan and i'm jason my life is at the top. My life for ire. If I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy you a house. I would buy you a house. And if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, buy you furniture for your house, maybe a 
nice Chesterfield or an Ottoman. And if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy you a K car, a nice reliant automobile. And if I had a million dollars, I'd buy you. Upbeat, but with some darkness. I'd take the one from the end because the one at the beginning had all the driving sounds. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Just put that in. Lord Harvey coming through. <laughs> if you've ever found yourself scrolling through the recommended movies on streaming services and wondering if any of those are worth your time, I'm here to help. Hi, I'm Erica, host of Customers Also Watched, a podcast about movies on Amazon Prime. I started with one movie from my own watch list, and from there, each episode, I grab a friend or two, and we discuss a movie from the customer's also watch list of the previous episode's movie. Follow on Twitter at CAW Podcast, and Facebook or Instagram under Customers Also Watched. Available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and Podbean. See you down the rabbit hole. It's time, let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love your movies. We love the bad ones, too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh, yeah. Everything I learned from movies Helps to make life a little bit groovy With a one last plot holes a gratuitous boobies It's time to get busy With your friend Steven Izzy At eilfm.podbean.com